podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. Good to have you with us once again, gang. Now, straight off the bat, spoiler alert. We were planning to do an edge rush and talk about, well, the Finns, the Bengals, looking at the outright early odds, all that jazz, but didn't kind of go to plan. <laughs> Propo and I knew we were going to throw in a bit of pop culture chat. We were, knew we were going to talk a bit of Glasto, and I wanted to reference a few other things. And in the end, it went entirely that way. So... This is a special episode, an episode that is all about music and movies and TV and all of the good stuff that we often weave into our work, but not necessarily dedicate an entire show to. So if that's not your thing, well, no worries. Plenty of good football chat in the vault. I'm Mike, and that Mike's mailbag mayhem sitting there. If you haven't listened to that already, Greg Rosenthal. The week before, lots of good stuff coming your way in the future as well. But if you fancy a slightly different styling, well, sit back, relax, and enjoy a good hour of fun. Generation X versus Gen Z. Me versus Propo. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. Edge Rush back in business, which means... Propo back in the house. It is nice of you to join us, Propo. <laughs> what a chilled summer so far, right? Yeah, in terms of the NC show, it has been quite a chilled summer. I've been taking, you know, Joe Burrow's been in Vegas in recent mm. weeks. So I think, you know, I deserve to take a bit of time off. I deserve to have a little bit of a, a break from the world of NFL. But it's exciting to actually kind of having this building up to this podcast has kind of reinvigorated my love and kind of reinvigorated my excitement for it. Well, exactly. Uh, The degenerate that you are, of course, of course, I'm in Vegas, Joe Burrow. Um, I went a bit Yoda then. In Vegas, Joe Burrow. (laughs) (laughs) Burrow's in. Have you seen Star Wars on? Uh, I've seen a couple of them. I haven't seen... What what does that mean? What does that mean? I haven't seen any of the the ones that were released before the 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the original, all of the original classics you have, you've never seen, for example, you've never seen The Empire Strikes Back. I honestly couldn't tell you one um, name of unbelievable. Star Wars. Honestly, it's one of those where as a kid growing up, I just, I couldn't. Unbelievable. Fancy. I think I saw a clip from The Empire Strikes Back and I think I could see the string from one of the mm. people hanging down and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh how dare you. There <laughs> are many, well, this is the thing, right? There are a lot of our listeners, my generation, Gen X crew, NC show crew, let me hear you, uh, who are shaking their heads crying into their beers, just tutting at you, as often I'm sure they do, or, to be frank, yeah, uh, for the last couple of years. But then there's that, that, the Young Gun crew, the, the, t- the Propo gang, mm. the Gen Zers, Gen Z, uh, who are kind of, yeah, well, you know, I know what he means. I haven't watched it either. And that is what we're going to key on a, a fair bit today, right? Well, lots of different things we're going to throw in the mix. We're going to see where the show takes us, frankly, because uh, no running order really, um, which will become no surprise to our listeners. So we're going to do a bit of Gen X versus Gen Z, in both sporting and non. Throw a bit of pop culture in there as well, because we love a bit of pop culture. <laughs> just, just emphasize the differences between the two of us individually, and I guess generationally as well, because we thought that'd be a lot of fun. Seeing as I'm pretty sure outside of Star Wars, you still haven't watched The Wire, right? 
So much like the TV shows one, because we're going to do a little bit of the tease. We're going to do our TV shows. The TV show one's going to be rough for me now. I can't imagine this is going to go too well. Because uh, I was kind of looking into it and I was having to think about some of the greatest TV shows. Mm. Like just from a general consensus standpoint. And I realized I probably haven't seen the majority of them. So, and I can't really <laughs> I start. Can't I can't really start blagging that oh yeah i'm a massive fan of the sopranos when i haven't even seen more than one episode this is what fascinates me right this isn't this isn't something that uh, is unique to my generation right it feels like it's something that happens successive generations shake their heads saying i can't believe the youth of today they don't have any respect for the past respect for history but it is definitely getting more and more that issue is getting more and more accentuated right it's getting more and more there's this sense of, and, I, and it's so paradoxical to me because the access to stuff from the past and maybe this is the problem there's too much access there's too much there's too much yeah. content out there but the access to stuff from the past is uh is unprecedented right you can deep dive and you could get the sopranos now and watch it all in the next 48 hours i'm not sure how long it take for you to watch the whole sopranos but you know you get my point you could get access to all of it now like that download bam watch it all you know, that of course with, with previous generations certainly when i was a kid that was much harder and god my parents generation and just awareness of of, of pop cultural icons and uh, art and uh, and drama film from the past just seems to seems to be different for example i saw elvis at the weekend incredible by the way oh, i really want to say it incredible i mean i was i was not Oh, I have to go and see this opening weekend. I wasn't part of that crew. Uh, my my missus was very much, yeah, we, I really, really want to see it. And in the house, so in, in the house, obviously my wife, two kids, divided room, right? My eldest and, and my wife were really, really excited about seeing it. And me and the youngest, okay, yeah, well, you know, sure, blown away. It was incredible. Austin Butler, who plays Elvis, was sensational because I think outside of the obvious challenges of playing one of the most charismatic people in the history of the world. And uh, uh, yes, people have tried that role before. Kurt Russell, of course, was uh, back in the day, uh, gave it a shot and, and other actors in, in, in you know, different mediums, so made for TV. But on the scale of a cinematic scale, the um, challenge of taking on that role is up there with, I think, Will Smith taking on Ali and, you know, it's so difficult to play a, a character that is so uh, electric and so um, defined in our, in our conscious, right? Um, and he nails it. And the key thing about it, oh, he nails it to the degree where he's not only entirely plausible throughout the film and you buy into him pretty much instantly that, that he is, and that's maybe the hardest trick to pull off, but he's a terrific there's terrific depth to it, to his acting as well. He, you can tell that outside of Elvis and, and nailing this role, he will go on and handle lots of other heavy duty roles. It's not as if Elvis, that's his apex. Congratulations, lights out, good luck. He is, he demonstrated what a, a terrific actor he is. Baz Luhrmann and his wife, Catherine Martin, who is a big creative influence on, uh, on this film and indeed other films, they're a real tag team. Uh, and particularly the aesthetic and the visual um, direction of it. It's just brilliant. The, the depth of cast, everyone nails it. Hanks is brilliant, of course. It is almost three hours, which in you know, this day and age, you rarely see a film pushing three hours. They kind of hacked away to you know, 220, 230. If it's, you know, it's pushing three hours, you, you grip from start to finish. Tragic and exhilarating. All the, you run the gamut of emotions. I can't recommend it enough. Loved it. 
Because honestly, it was one of those where I didn't really pay that much attention to it when I saw it being released. And then mm. I read something which said that at the premiere or at one of the film festivals, it got a 12-minute standing ovation. Wow. Really? Which I think is potentially verging on uncomfortable length for a standing ovation. Like, is that not just a bit of moment where, like, <laughs> no, one, no one wants yeah. to stop? No one wants to be the first person to stop clapping because it's just been going on for so long. <laughs> That's, well, you know, to be honest, pretty much every time Mike Carlson makes an appearance on this show, we give him a similar, yeah. a, a similar plaudits at the end. But that's by request. Yeah, that's, that's in his rider. <laughs> that's it. That's a contractual obligation. Um, that's say that you're right. Twelve minutes is is when you get to a minute seven, that's getting uncomfortable. <laughs> so, I think that's getting seriously uncomfortable. And then it's like, it's, it's like mile nineteen of the marathon or whatever, whatever marathon. Yeah. That's like minute seven of the standing ovation. Uh, but Elvis is an interesting one, right? Because uh, I, uh, you know, I'm fascinated. Uh, he, of course, is a, was a megastar, and of course, in uh, in, in terms of uh, his um, reach in so many different ways, and they make this point, of course, in the film. Colonel uh, Parker, his manager, they really drive this this element, and maybe smartly so, they don't really hammer this point home. But the principle that he was very big on the concept of merchandising and, and really Elvis was almost the prototypical artist to be uh, commercially uh, exploited is perhaps the wrong word, although that's was definitely one of the narratives, but the uh, application of the artist and the image into uh, all kinds of different uh, memorabilia, sponsorship deals, endorsement deals, you know, that obviously Elvis's rise coincided with the, the American dream and advertising and everything else uh, really taking a stronghold I in America. So that is definitely in the same way Marilyn, the same way James Dean has cut through and transcendence irrespective of, of their actual work. In Elvis's case, it's mainly, mainly music, of course, but film too. He's one of those artists that, irrespective of your generation, you kind of know, you, have a, you understand who he is, right? This is recognition because of that fact. But that, for me, is one of the big things that when I was growing up, even take Elvis as an example, right? But that, you know, the, the gap between me as a kid and Elvis was uh, obviously not as dramatic as, you know, you growing up and Elvis, but I had a sense of these guys from the past. I would watch their stuff. I'd see an Elvis movie. I, I, you know, I knew who these actors were that were from a different generation or these artists from a different generation, but I had a grasp of it. Do you think that's different? Do you think your generation doesn't have that as, as much as readily? Um, I guess so to a certain extent, but I think it goes back to what you originally said in terms of there being sort of an abundance of content. There's abundance of... <laughs> <laughs> it's Pebbles well, the Cat making her show debut. This video has just, this podcast has just been crashed. Yes. Pebbles, is that Pebbles? That is Pebbles. Uh, we, we've got building going on at home, so both Pebbles and Coco are the new additions to, uh, to the clan, who will be making, of course, uh, regular appearances on Edge Rush next season. They're going to carry the Matilda torch um, with their picks. We're going to do Pebbles v. Coco every week. And uh, uh, Coco, who is part cat, part fruit bat, um, part Chinese dragon. <laughs> I think it's basically, that's Coco. And, and Pebbles is just a ball of, uh, of fluff. Uh, a ball of fluff. Of, the size of a dog. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. And I was saying, so I think the issue is, is basically there is such an abundance of content. And as you said, it's so widely accessible that I think people tend to find their niches relatively early and they don't necessarily always go to the ones who are the, like the, the names, the big names or the people who are sort of synonymous with artistic um, 
sort of greatness, I guess. So it kind yeah. of and it ends up with people being like, I've got friends, for example, I've got a friend actually, for example, who says that he wouldn't want to go to Glastonbury because he finds the lineups underwhelming because he's a massive, all he listens to is trap rap. That's literally all he listens to. And he, this is a white privileged kid, my age. Yeah. And all he listens to is like trippy red. I don't think that's new though. Like I, I get it. And actually, yeah. ironically, Glastonbury is far more diverse musically than it was when I was, yeah. you know, you know, certainly when I was first going to it, um, when it was just all, all time. I mean, I remember probably 95, I want to say 96 is when it started to diversify properly. And a lot of, electronic breakbeat a lot of different genres came in and and that's when things started to roll and then of course they've got more and more progressive with overall the artist booking but certainly headliners that was always very much the bastion of old rockers or indie bands or alt bands right and now of course you know you've got Kendrick Lamar headlining on uh, on a Sunday night and and, I, and it's all the better for it in my, in my opinion but I don't think the fact you know growing up same principle right there were plenty of look at my cross-section of mates the rockers Breakbeat was was coming through hip hop, and so everybody was very much in their in their tribe and in their rolling in their slipstream and in their in their lane. But I wonder if that is just if there's just more of it, and the, there's just way more of it. Do you know what I mean? Like there is. Do you know how many trap rappers there are now? There is like a million guys with the name Lil in front of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you type in Lil into Spotify, there will be literally about 136 rappers yeah. making music. Uh, that is relatively similar and that is of the same genre. And that means that you've got the capability to literally spend the whole of your time when you're kind of injecting energy into your passions and into what you get into in terms of music, where you don't really have to go outside of that and you don't really have to listen to other things because you're constantly, there's music being released every single day. There's different Mm. rappers kind of coming to fruition every single day. Mm. And if you have that at your doorstep, then it gives you sort of no license to really look and explore elsewhere. And I think that's probably the issue is it's just the abundance of what we have now. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's overwhelming. It's literally overwhelming how many TV shows are released, how many times you will hear someone say, oh, you need to watch this or you need yeah. to that. And you know how to go, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Have a hell of a-. And that's, that's a great point. And, and something that we definitely talked about before, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show, but that, that for me is one of the keys to the, to the game, right? I talk about when I was growing up, I knew who Elvis was more than just I understood his image. Because, you know, BBC Two on a Thursday after school and I finished my homework and uh when i <laughs> on the days that i finished my homework and pre-sky we didn't have sky existed we didn't have it pre-internet well that's on we're watching we're watching a charlie chan film because right? that's what's on whereas now you've got eight kids my, my kids have you know, i mean not only just netflix amazon uh disney but social of course and tiktok you know it's just constant constant range uh, i get i get that for sure on uh hip-hop versus elvis at the NC show Christmas party, we wheel out the karaoke machine. Is Propo going, is he going Dre? Is he going, or maybe Kendrick? Is he going a bit of, maybe of Easy e Or is he going, are you going Elvis, Sinatra, Croon? You're going to Croon. I think it's probably Damage Limitation by the sounds of things when it's is that, is that Is that a song? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's actually a new artist. I love it's it. Actually, love it's, his name's Lil Damage Limitation is what his name is. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Lil yeah. Propo, Damage Limitation is the album. Um, I grew up uh, in a friendship group in Brighton that was uh, blessed with a wealth of musical talent, mm. which I have 
absolutely none of. So the amount of times that I would sit growing up at a friend's house with them all creating musical magic and playing all various different instruments. Like I've got some really, really talented friends and I'd kind of just have to sit there. And this is probably why I know so much about sports because I was probably just sitting there reading up about sport or kind of like anytime I could, just kind of giving them a fact they didn't know, need to know about the Premier League in 2005 or 2006. And singing sadly is another one where I actually have... I have absolutely no capability to sing whatsoever. Don't really have a capability to rap. But if I was mm. probably going to, I mean, Outcast would probably be the one I'd go with. Nice. One. I think that is when yeah. Miss Jackson is always going to be a safe player. Oh, great, because you really hit, the, hit those notes. Uh, obviously, yeah. Ben Isaacs, friend of the show, Ben Isaacs, big, uh, big hip-hop aficionado back in the day, uh, a very prolific hip-hop journalist. So I'm sure he would guide you on, uh, on where to go with, with that and, and indeed your karaoke selection. Hey, listen, this is the way this episode's gone so far and we're going to have plenty more pop culture chat in this that's something that we're going to be wheeling into the shows more going into next season there's a lot happening right there's a lot happening with the nc show for starters we're going to be launching our new fantasy show which i'm very excited about in association with our friends DraftKings. get your fantasy on and that is that show is launching uh late summer obviously getting you set for for your uh, fantasy well, if you play it already to get you set for it, and if you don't, it's a great opportunity to get involved and get stuck in. And there's going to be all kinds of listener leagues we're going to be doing because DraftKings have a daily fantasy game, but we're going to be talking all things fantasy. And indeed, if you are one of those few out there that either doesn't play fantasy uh, and has no interest in playing fantasy, you'll still enjoy the show as well, I think, because there'll be a lot of good football chat that you'll pick up football, intel, there'll be perspective, opinion, about the NFL, irrespective of whether you play fantasy. So we're dropping that show very, very soon. Excited about that, Propo? Do you know what I'm really excited about, Matt? Mm. Is the fact that now you're going to be officially a host of an NFL <laughs> fantasy show. If yeah. You don't actually have any excuse when you play <laughs> in every single league you're in. Because mm. I get enough... Do you get the same flack? I get enough flack from my friends who obviously work in different industries. When if I don't win the league every year, they're like, wait, your job is to know about the NFL. Like, this is yeah. what to do, and you still can't beat us. Luckily, I've made the playoffs every single year, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, and I've won one. But at the same time, the amount oh, of pressure that's going to be on right. you now oh, as a mate. host of a fantasy football oh, show, mate. if you're not doing it week in, week out, and you're not focusing on it, and you're not winning those leagues, there's going to be a lot of pressure on you. How many times have we done a radio show in the last three or four years, like a live Sunday night show, at about 5.58, before we're going live, I'm suddenly, oh, shit. <laughs> setting my line up, setting my line up, panic, panicking, that I've, I've, I've got a quarterback on a bye week and I'm sort of picking up, who would I <laughs> typically sort of pick up from, from the waivers? You know, Zach Barnabas Wilson Patrick, last season. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I can get Zach Wilson. Roethlisberger will do me a job. Yeah. So, a fair point, and it's something that is, is, is I know, a, a perennial source of amusement for you that my, my fantasy acumen is lacking. I would point out in mitigation that uh, I'm quite a competitive person when it comes down to it. Yeah, <laughs> so that is true. That it is, is true. game on uh, when I'm focused. When I'm focused, when I'm not, it's like, yeah, hey, let's go surfing. But when I'm focused, I'll be in there. Secondly, I've been rolling out on the legendary the prototypical the godfather of some would say nfl podcast certainly fantasy podcast the 0610 fantasy focus with tmr and the crew as far back as 2010 my friend 
so I've got some fantasy chops in my locker and I've got some powerful people I can call in on to help me out and to get me set. Is that, so, was that po- is that a podcast? It's what a podcast. It's a TMR, the TMR. <laughs> you are kidding me. <laughs> my God. Did, do you, did you actually know who Elvis Presley was? Bro? Like, yeah, no, I did know who Elvis Presley was. My favourite, though, is according to Jake Humphrey, though, now, uh, podcast didn't exist before 2019. That's they? a very good point, but actually yeah. correct. Uh, that's absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. Who are we to argue with, yeah. with, uh, with Jake on that one? The, the, so we're going to be dropping a fantasy show. Looking forward to that. Uh, and we're going to have occasional episodes, not necessarily every week. We're going to have all your favourites. So Monday review, sh- uh, review show, looking back at all the action that has just happened. I'm Mike in the hot seat there. We're going to be dropping edge rush, of course, all through the season. Our new fantasy show, our preview show as well, was looking ahead to the weekend's action. We're going to have occasional, not sort of every week, but drop-ins where we could go a little bit left field, like this show, where we feel comfortable talking about uh, whether it's Friday Night Lights. That's something I know we're going to get into. Uh, with my friend Tom Price, the comedian, radio presenter, knows next to nothing about the NFL, loves Friday Night Lights, very funny man. Going to roll him out to talk some Friday Night Lights. And whatever takes our fancy, we're going to drop those in throughout the season as well. So there's going to be all kinds of stuff coming your way next season. All of your favorites as well. So I and Mike, I mentioned, obviously, Ben and College Days, that's going to be rolling strong all through the season. Getting you set for next year's crop, next year's draft. All the young players coming through that are going to be big stars in the NFL next year. Uh, College Days with Ben will continue. Uh, we're going to, of course, have Jay Bell, O.C., Vern, all of uh, Tom Deacon, Marek. And there's a lot of shouts out for Marek on social media at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, still no TikTok, all through uh, the season. So uh, keep it here. Keep it locked in. Uh, and the great thing is if that any one of those is really your, your poison, you don't really fancy it, no worries. All on the same feet. You skip that show, listen to, to the next one. But hopefully you guys will get a range of good stuff that, that you enjoy. Now, let's get down to a bit of business then. Gen X, Gen Z. You mentioned Glass though, so let's go there first. So yeah. we're going to pick our ultimate three headliners, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And let's do a legend spot as well. Right? So ultimate three headliners. Uh, can they be at any act, so living or dead, past or present, or do they have to be current acts? So I've gone. So I've kind of got two. To be honest with you, I've got a current one, okay. which is okay. to kind of do my Gen Z lineup, and then I've yeah. kind of got my all-time lineup as well, which is dead and alive. Okay, that's textbook. You uh, well, actually, it's textbook <laughs> Carlson. If Carlson was playing this now, okay, so I've got sixty-four. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, right, go on. All right, so well, seeing as you've got two, why don't you go? Why don't you kick off, Propo? So your dream lineup from uh, from current artists. So current artists. So my dream lineup would be yeah. So right now, I reckon my dream lineup, and this is tough. There's a couple in there which I would probably swap in and out. Yeah, I think I'll go with the Strokes on Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that, and you've got you've got, we're gonna have an old barometer here. So started seeing as you still haven't watched The Wire. Uh, and some of the other things you've already dropped on this episode, you're, you're, you're basically at base. You're, you're at zero right now. So the strokes are going up. You're, you're warming up with that. That's a good, solid shout. The strokes, I'm a huge fan of the strokes. I've actually got a poster of, 
of them in my it's one of my favorite posters ever in my room like i'm a, I'm a massive fan i've actually never seen them live either one of the reasons i didn't actually go and see a lot of live music when i was growing up which was largely based on the fact that you have to rely on your dad to kind of take you to stuff and what at the time what a sheltered life you led yeah i know, I know <laughs> literally literally well th- this is the thing was because at the time I didn't quite realise the perspective on this when I was growing up, but now I look back on it, I kind of realised that I might have been screwed over massively. Mm. Um, so my dad used to, his argument was is that I'll take you to Stoke games, Ollie, yeah. because I'm a massive Stoke fan. Yeah. And then Ellie, my sister, who's a massive music fan as well, would get to go to Glastonbury and various different gigs, which at right. the time I was absolutely fine with. But in hindsight, knowing that my sister got to see something like the legendary headliners like Arctic Monkeys, Kanye West, whilst I was going to Preston North End away on a November <laughs> night, in hindsight kind of makes me realise that I don't think... The raw that deal. That's a raw deal. It's so that's a raw deal, especially in the peak Pulis era where I was only really seeing nil-nil draws for the Let's majority of it. Papa Thornton would take your sister to Glastonbury. Yeah. He would take my sister to Glastonbury. What a dad. A legendary, legendary work. He actually, he was on Instagram. He was called Glasto Dad for quite a while. (laughs) Legend. uh, You missed out on that. The fact that you were in that house, you were Glasto Dad's son. And I wasn't allowed to go. It's it's criminal. It's criminal. But it was because my sister was very, very, um, very, very aware of the fact that I was going to Stoke games sort of relatively frequently and the amount of money oh. I spent on that. So oh, yeah, that all gets believably and that yeah. is all getting trotted out. Okay, so I love that. So the structure, have you got um, the Casablanca's, Julian Casablanca's Christmas? Uh, I don't think it's a whole album. I've just got quite a lot of Julian Casablanca's on my Christmas playlist, which gets wheeled out unsurprisingly at Christmas. And uh, we try and mix it up so we have, you know, obviously the Rat Packer in there and Duke Ellington and Fats Domino. So it isn't, you know, mix up good traditional Christmas carols as well. Why not? But kind of mix it up. And, and Casablanca's always appears. So I don't know if he's got a full Christmas album. But really? No, I'm not aware of that. I'm not aware of that. I'm not a massive Christmas fan. I would. I'm a massive Christmas music guy, though. No, but you, when you drop in a Christmas playlist proper, you want to mix it up a bit. True. You want to get you festive. And he does want to be a Mariah Bloody Carey and Wizard or, you know, you want to be a bit, a little bit. Dive a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, fine. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll open my. Maybe we can do a uh, Gen, Gen X versus Gen Z Christmas music section at some point as well. We can. Really I like it. I like it. That. We should do a playlist. We should get a let's get a Spotify show playlist rolling where we. Can, That's actually uh, a good yeah. shout. We'll so Friday night, the Strokes. Yeah. Saturday night, I actually saw them on Sunday night, just gone at the London Stadium. Your mm. own, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, the Peppers, of course, were in town. Yeah, it would be unbelievable, and I think they'd be incredible at Glastonbury. Mm. They were. In, they're still just such a brilliant band. They're so tight. They sound exactly the same they did twenty years ago. They were incredible. Uh, still so much energy. Flea is just an absolute nutcase, and I love it. Like, just made everyone up for it. You know, like he would come yeah. on jumping around he'd go straight to the mic and say some ridiculous things he was brilliant my only- that, so that's a great point on just yeah. uh, just on that in terms of the uh, it should be a self-evident and obvious thing when you're thinking about a headliner uh, for a gig like this but i think it's often overlooked is is the ability to work the crowd and of course every act is going to attempt to do it although obviously there are some acts that take quite a block view and, and are not engaging at all right with, with the crowd and that's their, their, their hook or even the way that Kendrick left the stage on Sunday which is pretty jarring right yeah. just kind of mic drop walked off none of the thank you I love you you know none yeah. of that but everyone will try the kind of hey it's interesting watching Glasto this this weekend uh, I, was, I wasn't there watching the, the footage of it that's something that always interests me how they work the crowd, how they keep the crowd, how sometimes they get the crowd. And and of course, if you're Noel Gallagher and you can drop Wonderwall and don't look back in anger, it makes life a lot easier. But 
it, it, that's a real skill. And I think for sure, a, a headline gig of that magnitude to have consummate performers that have been at the top of their game for that long, because the Peppers are fascinating. When they first broke, I mean, they were properly left field. Of course, famous used to rock mm. on stage with socks covering their genitals. And that was, <laughs> yeah. They were just a quirky... You know, have you heard about this band that does that? And, you know, obviously had a, a cult fan base. But if you'd said at the time, oh, these guys are going to become stadium mainstays for the next 25, 30 years, forget about it. So the fact that they developed and evolved into that and have, and have maintained it, they play. The other thing about them and this kind of act is those that can stay at the very, very top and play stadium or play, like Guns N' Roses are playing, of course, uh, I know that's a little bit different because they disappeared for a long time and then mm. they put you know, most of the original lineup together without Stephen Adler, but everybody else. So that's a little bit, that's cheating it a bit. But, you know, Oasis, Blur, these bands that are, they, if, if Blur said we're doing a stadium, uh, a stadium tour, if Oasis reformed for the love of God, I mean, of course they'd just oh, smash God. it. But yeah. quite a lot of acts obviously have their peak and then drop down to, okay, they're still solid. They've got a good fan base, but they're playing arenas or they're playing, you know, four or 5,000 seasons. Mm. Peppers, absolutely, no doubt they would smash it. And I honestly think that if you asked, they were really, from my age group anyway, so I'm 26 now, born in 96. If you ask anyone from sort of like 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, like that era, yeah, they would pretty much all say the Red Hot Chili Peppers are like legendary and iconic and they will go down in history. Like they were such, they were a part of like the soundtrack of our childhood, I would say. Like yeah, interesting. they were like Californication, Can't Stop, By The Way. Yeah, like yeah, those yeah. are all songs that every single person that I know knows all yeah. the words to and can sing along to. Yeah. So they would definitely have to be in there. And then the last Sunday night, again, it's because I think that what I did over lockdown with me and my friends, because obviously we missed opportunities to go out quite a lot and go and see live gigs during lockdown, mm. like a prime time of our life at sort of 24. So what we would end up doing is drinking and then watching live sets to nice. kind of try and like, that's quite a lot we did. And the one that we watched a lot was the Arctic Monkeys when they did the headline of Glastonbury. What was it, 2007, 2008? I can't remember quite which year it was. And it was the first time they'd ever played Glastonbury. They were 22 years old. Yeah. And it was incredible. They absolutely mm. smashed it. You forget like how consistent they were at such a young age as a band and how brilliant yeah. they were, how amazing that first album was and how great Alex Turner is as a front man as well. How brilliant the voice yeah. he is. And yeah. then, man, I still haven't seen them live, and they are the they are the number one for me from like the current list. Who I would a uh, Sunday night if I saw the Arctic Monkeys, like that would probably be the closest I could get to like a religious experience. Wow, that is a great show. And again, were they a band that was similar for yeah. your youth, right? Yeah. So they were just a soundtrack to your youth, and yeah, yeah. and that energy. That, you know, thinking of that, um, using that example of when they headline, I was thinking that, and I know that a lot of people have spoken about his set this weekend and 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 rightly so he's one of the acts that i think everybody's saying took glastonbury this year but sam fender did you catch any of sam fender was just sensational and had that that similar raw energy and talking about timing it right whether i mean yeah it's un uh, usual to be an actor's an artist as young as the arctic monkeys to headline but to get a fairly prominent spot at a young age because I think Haim talked about this saying the first time they played Glastonbury, they were on at 11 o'clock, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. and then, uh, and they're kind of, and most, that's what most acts do, right? You know, you look back at old, I love looking at old festival bills and seeing, you know, mm. blur like sort of quite in like 92 or 93, like quite, you know, small support act and, and watch them progress. But 
Some of them, of course, capture uh, a slot at the right time uh, and, and the energy grows. And Sam Fender's set absolutely did that. And you just, there was just an energy to it. And uh, I mean, I'm a huge Sam Fender uh, fan now because of the obvious comparisons with Springsteen, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's a Springsteen aficionado and he's clearly influenced significantly by him and his sax player is, is, is definitely influenced by the big man. And, uh, and, uh, but that's great because he adds his own edge to it. And I think it's Springsteen, or Springsteen, of course, was in the building, but not till the next night. I think it's Springsteen. I'm sure he's aware of Sam Fender. And if he was looking and watching that set, he'd be nodding in appreciation. 17 going under is oh. a tune. And hyper, yeah, the, the hypersonic missiles that he ended with was, was superb. So I think Sam Fender would be high up on my list to you know to see as a as a future headliner after that performance and i think he's um he's there's gonna be more of that came from so i uh i went a different route i just went kind of all-time acts and yeah. interestingly um all three of these acts and maybe this is kind of emphasizing the point but i don't have well one of them is one of them is sadly obsolete as an act one is still going strong and one some of the artists within that group are still going strong. And that was kind of part of my, my rationale for picking him. I wanted um, to, I guess, honor what we touched on earlier, which is the, the musical range that Glastonbury headliners demonstrate now. And I'm all for, you know, a lot of people slagging off Billie Eilish. Why is an artist like this headlining off? Please stop being so pompous. You know, uh, I I think the, the, the range of music is so important and that's something that makes it, such a special place, right? So, Kendrick would have been my fourth for the current list. Would he? Yeah. Did, what did you think of his set? I thought it was incredible. I thought it was absolutely unbelievable. I thought that from people I've spoke to who were there as well, they said it was one of the best they've seen. Like it was yeah. absolutely insane. Yeah. And he's just, he's, he's the definition of an artist. Yeah. Know? Like there's so much more to just the music. It's yeah. just the whole character that he is and what he represents. I, I think there's something so special about the pro mid stage at Glastonbury mm. that he kind of encapsulates that he has the aura to kind of take it all in and then kind of project it out and everyone would just be, yeah, I'd be in a trance watching him. I reckon. Yeah. I, I, I agree completely. Well, and we even saw a flash of that at the Super Bowl, which is one of the yes. more complex shows I think for an artist to play because it is so bite-sized and technicolor and cartoon-like, right? And then we love that about it, but it's a difficult, difficult gig to play. And particularly the year that he played it when he's surrounded by these legends and you get a short burst and you're being compared to Eminem, Dre, seminal artists of your genre, which he obviously is as well, but still, you know, you've got the OGs around you and he created something so distinctive in that melting pot as well. And just edgy in that melting pot. And he's just a, uh, even like, you know, just in terms of the choreography and the visual dynamic and energy that he created that he thinks about so many different components to it, which, um, uh, which is testament to the artist that he is spot on. Yeah. He, he, he was great. I thought, uh, so cause we've got a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to go first up, an, uh, an artist that uh, influenced my really formative years because they were always on in the car. So my parents are always playing them. And you, we've all, I'm sure, got our own version of that. But something that from the age of as far back as I can remember, this was the soundtrack to the, my first experience of music. And I didn't realize until I was much older just how significant that influence was on me. They're an artist that are... Uh, 
cited by so many different types of musicians and artists as an influence in the time that they worked together in their, in their peak, really innovative, notorious for being a brilliant live act, has that lightning in a bottle era. Uh, so I'm kind of playing with different dimensions and, and timelines here, but I would say a peak era, vintage era Beach Boys. Oh, that's a great shout. Would blow my mind. I'm trying to think what night. I reckon probably, I think probably, I I might put them on this. I'll come back to what night because that's quite an important thing as well. What do you reckon? What would you have the Beach Boys? What night would you go? I think the Beach Boys would probably kick off, wouldn't you? I think you'd probably kick off Friday night. I'd probably kick off with the Beach Boys on Friday night because that's going to keep everyone in such a good mood going into the Saturday, no matter how rough you wake up the next day. Yeah. The positive mindset you would leave that game. Yeah, it would be so brilliant, and it would be such a great way to kind of kick you into the weekend. Yeah, I love that. So, I mean, that is a great show. I would, they would definitely be up there for me. It's just a slight spin-off here. Dennis Wilson, uh, of course, uh, a, a original Beach Boy, um, left and had a quite a challenging uh, final phase of his life. Was a heavy drinker, died very very young. I think I think due to alcohol related causes. Anyway, there was a. Uh, uh, a collection of his solo work uh, called Pacific Ocean Blue, which uh, was released, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe. Um, it's brilliant. Buy it, get it. If you like the Beach Boys and maybe you have missed that, I would heartily recommend that. Okay, so I'm going Beach Boys first. I've obviously got to have the artist, the the band that uh, is without doubt my favorite of all time. This has so many different I have so many different memories of how their music has guided me through influence. I remember the very first time I heard them, and obviously I'd heard them before, but the first time I was listening to them, right? Uh, and there's a difference. A mate of mine at school, American, uh, lent me their live triple album. And we had been out, and I must have been 15, 16, and we'd been out at a party, and I got back, and I might have had... <laughs> one or two fizzy pops and uh i just put it on uh, and and headphones on in a darkened room as i was drifting off and listened to and i'd written a list of the whole thing and was taken away to a different generation at times a different place it was really again a kind of pre-internet pre-cable for me world where you could be carried away uh and because of their strong americana connection and I was, of course, in love with America, with American sports, with American culture. But they added, but as a Brit, also had that cynicism for parts of that as well. Tackled that um, in, in so many different ways. And, and I realized I was listening to one of the great poets of our generation and one of the great bands of our generation. Springsteen and the E Street Band would headline Saturday night. And I'm hearing propo that they could be headlining next year. Really? They, I'm hearing strong rumors about that because he's going on tour next year. The boss has announced a tour. Hasn't announced London dates yet, but Dublin and quite a lot of European dates. I think one of the reasons they haven't announced London, I'm... I'm hoping it's Glastow. It could be a Hyde Park kind of thing. And hey, I could, I could roll without watch Springsteen East Street anywhere, but I could see them and there's a strong buzz about them being headliners next year. That would be, I mean, I have to say that is a, that's a reasonable gap in my musical knowledge. I would say, mm. I would say that in comparison to TV and film, I, mm. I 
tend to be a bit more knowledgeable and a bit more invested in sort of music prior to, because I think some of the greatest music has come out in the 80s, 70s and 60s. And I know yeah. you're going to say some of the great TV and film has also come out then, so I should appreciate that. But it's just been a different thing, because I guess yeah. my parents kind of showed me yeah. all of that growing up. And so, But Bruce Springsteen's actually one of the few that I didn't, I actually don't, have, wouldn't say I could tell you that many songs I wouldn't have listened to at length. Yeah, so that is something we can work on then, because I think, well, you know, this is, who knows, right? You, there's nothing worse, I think, than being an evangelist and saying, you'll love it and you'll, you know, you might not. But I, I suspect you might, given what I know about you. And uh, if uh, our friend Matthew Sherry, of course, the, uh, the boss of, of, of Gridiron, the Gridiron Empire, is a huge Springsteen fan. And, uh, and interestingly, he is somebody that uh, is a lot of his favorite Springsteen songs, or a lot of my favorite Springsteen songs, which aren't necessarily always the obvious ones. And not just because we're trying to be contrarian hipster now. Oh, I like this really obscure B-side from so-and-so, but because he gets, they're a live band, you know, the East Street band, they're a live, you got to see him live. When he headlined Glastonbury, got back in, was it 2008, 2009, I want to say? And we just had our first and babies, we didn't, couldn't go, didn't go. Uh, in retrospect, I should have, I should have, <laughs> we should have packed up and gone. But uh, he played a set, sure, he dropped Born to Run and, and some of the, 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 the most crossover songs, but a lot of his set was, uh, was not, uh, you know, a crowd pleasing bangers. And, and you don't think, don't get a sense that Springsteen does that for the sake of it to be controlled, just because that's the mood they're in. We're going to go with this set list. They've got such an archive of great music and it was an angry, they were dressed in black, angry set. They were, you know, they're just, they were very under, he's a very un, misunderstood artist by a lot of the mainstream who think he's just, you know, God bless America when it couldn't be uh, further from the truth. I think that's starting to come out now again in terms of crossover understanding because of his strong affiliation with Obama and people are understanding his political sensibilities are definitely not <laughs> on the MAGA side of things mm. um, and his and his music uh, from the beginning has um, championed the lost souls of America and the working class in America and the battle uh, that so many different groups in America face on a daily basis in the American dream um, is not for everyone and it laments that so yeah anyway love springsteen love the east street and 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 outside of anything else what a live band they are and then sunday so this is this is a tricky one for me but i'm gonna go and again i don't know how we do it if we're gonna stage it now whether you're gonna allow me to blur time space the space time continuum propo but i'm gonna go nwa mm, i thought you were going headline. to yeah and I thought you were going to. another seminal act for me for all kinds of different reasons but all kinds of similar reasons as well it, soundtrack of my youth i was a rock and roll kid that discovered hip-hop and realized the two art forms had so many uh similar sensibilities and so i i realized and of course there were things that led me to that so public enemy and anthrax famously did a crossover obviously run dmc and, and aerosmith did a little bit before but but public enemy and anthrax crossing over and then artists of course like the red hot chili peppers um rage against the machine artists that um fuse the two genres together and that kind of led me very much having been initially a rock and roll kid uh into hip-hop as well and th and these guys have for all kinds of reasons are a, a, a no-brainer for me to headline Glasto. Uh, and I think I would like, and I don't know whether I've been clouded a bit by the last Super Bowl halftime show, but I think I would like them to have a few special guests that rock up. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I think, I think Eminem has to come out with them. You know, I think you look at Dre, 
but also Ice Cube's um, trajectory and some of the people he's worked with, how we deal with the easy situation. I don't know whether we're just going back to imagining them in their heyday and that's the set they play. And, and maybe it's, yeah, maybe it is that. Maybe it's just the three of them. Well, and, and then obviously uh, the the supporting cast of Ren and, and Yella and just the original crew in their prime, I think, NWA, seminal. And again, if you're listening, you're a Gen Zer like Propo, who loves you, Kendrick, or Dre discovered Kendrick, right? So, and you might have seen them at the halftime show and you're thinking, as, um, as F.A. said, uh, <laughs> about 50 Cent looked out of breath. <laughs> Definitely did look a bit out of breath, yeah. Why is this guy from... Uh, from this movie I've seen doing, you know, definitely with NWA, they might have, um, they might have passed you by and you might be aware of them, but haven't really listened to them. Go back and watch, uh, go back and watch uh, and listen. And much like, and it was interesting, Eminem's on the Elvis soundtrack, right? And, uh, and it was written an original track called The King and I, which is him and CeeLo Green for that soundtrack. And the parallels are so obvious and so clear, but the parallels as well with NWA and Elvis and I'm not just trying to be glib and join all, you know, the last 40 minutes together, but they're so apparent that how they were um, fearless and trailblazing and were trying to be boxed in and by hypocrites and pretty unpleasant people who were citing them as a danger to society when mm. they were arguably more dangerous to society, well, not even arguably, significantly more dangerous to society, the people that were citing them as a bad influence. And uh, yeah, really, really important artist, and they would smash it live as well. With Dre, with Dre behind the production, you have no doubt that they would they would be bangers. So that would be my three. Hey, listen, Propo, let's go. Same tip, but we'll go Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, uh, American sport. So we're gonna do again. I've got two lists. Of course you do. Oh, have we, had, have we done your other Glasto list? Oh, no, my other Glasto list. I'll do that very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. So for me, the Beatles, 100%. Like the Beatles, yeah. to me, I've watched every single documentary. I've listened to every single album a million times. Like I just don't think that I've ever heard a band be able to transition through so many different genres and still be able to create such an incredible set of songs. Like yeah. the melodies that they create, the harmonies that they have, produced and John Lennon and Paul McCartney, Ringo, George Harrison, all his characters yeah. are so sort of, as you said, sort of seminal as individuals as well when they come together and create what they created, the drama surrounding them. Like it just feels there's something so special about them and they could play, they could play a seven hour set and I would still be excited to see what the next song would be. That's Love the that. kind of level that the Beatles created, in my opinion. The next would be Fleetwood Mac. Oh, on that, just on the Beatles, favourite ever well, maybe not favorite ever, but one of my favorite all-time Alan Partridge lines. <laughs> Best of the Beatles. <laughs> his, favorite, <laughs> his favorite Beatles album. <laughs> yeah. favorite, oh, I love the he Beatles. He said that when he was watching Paul McCartney. Did you see he was sticking <laughs> was in the um, in the audience and he was being interviewed whilst watching Paul McCartney. And he really? Said, Did he? Favorite, oh, yeah, and they asked him the question, what's your favorite album? And he said... Well, you're going to ask <laughs> Best of the Beatles. He just reset the line just as a joke. Oh, I didn't see that. So yeah, good. it was very, very funny. It was very, very funny. Um, second will be Fleetwood Mac. Mm. Just to see the chain live, to hear that bass line would just be so like, surprising me, proper. You're dropping. Yeah, this is good. This is good. This is this is important. I think for our for our ongoing relationship. But remember that barometer that you were at ground zero yeah. and it's going up and, and the rationale. I didn't expect you to go there at all. I love yeah, it. Yeah, they. I mean, Fleetwood Mac. I I'm obsessed with. I think they're brilliant. I I'm a real big fan of like if you listen to some of the newer bands like Wet Leg and stuff. Like a female mm. voice over kind of like a classic rock band. Mm -hmm. Like I love Blondie. 
and they tend to be some of my favourite sort of older acts. And Steve you like Wolf Alice? Yeah, I love Wolf Alice. Real like Alice. The, like the bass, the bass player Wolf Alice plays in our Sunday game quite regularly. Really? Yeah, he's a good player as well. Really? <laughs> yeah, so that's inc- that's amazing. I love all those kinds of bands, especially that style. I think they're absolutely brilliant. So Fleetwood Mac would definitely be up there. And then growing up in Brighton, which let's be honest, is probably one of the most uh, liberal and relaxed cities in the UK, if not by far the most liberal and relaxed city in the UK. To see Bob Marley and the Whalers would just be insane. Wow. Yeah. Great call again, Propo. Yeah, that would be that would be iconic. I think he is probably I mean, we all literally, as kind of sad as it seems now, we all literally just have Bob Marley posters everywhere uh growing up in every single like sort of friend's living room or friend's bedroom. I just remember looking around, we'd always be playing Bob Marley, watching all the Bob Marley documentaries. And I think with him and the Whalers in their peak, my dad always says one of the best gigs he ever went to is he went to the first one in Liverpool mm. when Bob Marley and Whalers first ever played. And he said it's still to this day one of the greatest things he's ever witnessed. And I think just again he's got that kind of prince feel, you know, where like he's yep. that figure where he almost feels like a religious figure on stage. And yeah. Kind of like Kendrick, he'd be able to create something that not many Human yeah, an energy that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Uh, that's a, that's an amazing shout. And again, going up the propo the 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 barometer is rolling up. It's trending in the right direction. Like you're like the Indianapolis Colts of this show right now, propo. You're going. You're going in the right direction. Hey, listen, we have um, we've got so many ways we could go here, and uh, we're certainly going to be doing more of this. But we've got to keep an eye on time because I want to do the Mount Rushmore, but I wonder if that's a separate show. I wonder if we do, seeing as we're on a pop culture tip, maybe we just make this all pop culture. And we, what do you reckon? I reckon we do at least one little bit of the NFL. Otherwise people are going to be completely in be like, what the hell are we listening to? Well, I, would, I can record an intro that will clear that up. Don't worry about <laughs> yeah. that. We'll, just, we'll call it an edge rush special pop culture. Gen Z versus, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Gen Z versus Gen Z. All right. So, so uh, I suggested, I'm just trying to skew away from this. <laughs> this is yeah, exactly. I'm just I'm that's what you're doing. <laughs> we should do some more. Yeah. I was like, we can leave this one <laughs> out. So well. You've done so well. But this is fascinating, right? Because it's exactly what we're getting into. Like you're, everything we said at the first five minutes of the show, torn up based on what you've just been talking about and the, the acts you picked for the last, you know, 20 minutes or so, right? Now, <laughs> we get on. Get on to TV, get on to drama. Why does it have to be drama? I mean, it could be any, it could be comedy, of course, as well. Mine aren't, dra- yeah, mine aren't dramas, to be fair. Okay, so the best TV, uh, what are we saying? Of, uh, are we picking your all-time favourite TV shows? Are we yeah, so I think Ameri- it's American- all-time favourite TV shows. That's what I'm picking the ones that, not necessarily best, but the ones that kind of your ring. Yeah, my, my favourites, the ones that I sort of look back on. You know, like, in the way you kind of listen to music, as you said, that moment when you first listened to Bruce Springsteen, like those mm. kind of moments where you watch TV or like a part of your life when you're watching a series. Mm. And a lot of mine, to be fair, would be documentaries. So that's another one we can do in the future is documentaries, because I think nice. is, they, they ring more true to me than a lot of TV shows, I think. But that's probably because I haven't watched any of the best ones. My youngest, uh, who was with me in uh, I'm Not Sure About Elvis, uh, camp, but, but but right at the extreme end of I don't want to go. I'm not interested in going. Uh, was quite vocal about it, uh, which is unusual because he loves he you know he loves going. Obviously going to the movies. Um, enjoyed it. Yeah, and came out and I said, oh, so it's great. You really enjoyed it. Was it not what you expected? And he, he looked at me and said, I thought it was going to be a documentary. <laughs> he thought he was going to do yeah. a three-hour documentary of Elvis. So he's not a documentary fan. You are, but we'll do a separate one on that. Um, Right, so all our favorite TV shows is where we're yeah. going next, right? So what we'll we'll, we'll go uh, uh, exchange, you know, 
tit for tat. So you go first, Propo. The generation, representing Generation Z. Proper. Representing Generation Z, I think I'd go amiss if I didn't mention this. And I don't think it would necessarily be in yours. And I think that you can argue that it's not necessarily... You're going in between us. No, no, I imagine I could have gone in between us. In between us is a great shout, to be fair. I mean, I'd probably put in between us definitely in the mix because in between us, for me, was easy one of the the best comedies. Again, that actually does ring true for like my whole sort of teenage years because it's just it was so relatable and it was just so funny. I don't think any of the episodes miss at all. Mm. Every single one is hilarious and has a hilarious moment in its own way. But in the same fashion, I think The Simpsons have to be in there. Oh, I love it, love it, love it. And just for, I mean... 728 episodes. Exactly. And it's, and it, I mean, I don't think I've ever watched The Simpsons where the pace hasn't been kept up, the sharpness isn't there. I don't think I've ever watched a dud episode. Okay, maybe there are gags that don't hit or, you know, a little lull in an episode. But generally, when you look at the episode in totality, you're like, that is a sharp piece of comedy, you know? That is, and it's, how many episodes? 700 what? 728. Bloody hell. And it's one of those as well where you and your kids could watch. It's like I remember watching it with the whole family and you'd have my sister who's two years older and my mum's a little bit older than my dad and my dad's sitting there and we'd all laugh at different jokes. Yeah, right. right. And I think that just is such a great demonstration of the genius of The Simpsons is they managed to sort of like basically just entice every every human being and every kind of different human being and different age group with different jokes and different moments in the show. And I think that that's why it has to go down as one of the greatest of all time. Love it. Okay. So I am going to go for a comedy. I, uh, for sentimental reasons would say cheers because cheers was not dissimilar to what I said about Springsteen really growing up that, um, TV soundtrack to, 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 some really seminal years in, uh, you know, in my youth. It's always on on Friday nights. Again, it was the Americana play. It was great. It was funny. It was warm. And I was latter era cheers. So although I've watched all the series now, I'm not the first, basically from when Shelley, um, Shelley Long left and, um, uh, and Kirstie Alley replaced her, right? That kind of era when Frasier became a strong, well, Frasier was in it before, but became a stronger character and I loved it. And I would, so I would have said cheers, but, and here's the but, to your point about watching The Simpsons and with the family, cheers hasn't dated very well, you know? Oh, and I just don't think it has. I, I still have so much affection for it and it's still sharp and it's still good but I don't think it has. Whereas something like Friends, which I don't think, I didn't think at the time, certainly was as strong a show ultimately. Um, fascinating how Friends now has got a whole new generation of fans. Uh, and if I look at particularly, so my boys, my eldest went to a, his first, um, first party, school disco, and my wife was one of the parents had to kind of chaperone, you know, usual, usual thing. And she said they dropped the Friends soundtrack, the DJ, and all the girls at the party knew all the words, hit the dance floor, knew all the words. Really? Yeah. And, and uh, Adam Carolla or Bill Simmons, one of the two was talking about this on their show, that their, their kids are a bit older than, than mine. But, um, but, you know, teenagers love it, just watch it relentlessly. So Friends has got a whole new generation of fans. And therefore, you would argue, hasn't dated us. Oh, and certainly, I kind of bucks a trend of what we were saying that this generation doesn't look back because, you know, Friends is 20, 25 years old, in, in probably, right? And, and is going strong. So, uh, cheers. I loved it. Frasier was always up there as well. But I'm going to go, I'm going to 
British show I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for a show that I do think has stood the, t- uh, stood the test of time. I still stands up. Watch it, uh, you know, watch it now and think it could, sure, there's an element. The old thing's a bit dated, but generally it could have been made yesterday. It's as sharp and maybe even more significant given what's going on in the world than ever before is the day-to-day. So the show that, that was uh, Coogan and, and Morris and the crew had been on radio, of course, but it was their first big TV show. Have you ever seen the day-to-day? Honestly, you don't even know what the day-to-day is and I don't know what Cheers is. Wow. You don't know what Cheers is? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Cheers is. I was waiting what? to say, hey, you, why don't you go with this whole, this whole thing? And I was just sitting there. I've Googled, don't know what Cheers right is. on my laptop, I've got Cheers Googled in. You don't know what Cheers is? No, I Ollie, the last episode of Cheers was the most watched TV show in the, at the time in the history of American television. Yeah, and you don't know what that, it is. That was before. How I, is that possible? That was how, is that, how is that possible? I knew, I mean, I knew yeah. MASH was the, it probably had a similar thing, right? The most, da- the most downloaded, the most watched TV show in the history. Uh, and that was before I was born. And that was on, I didn't, I didn't watch it till I was much older. How is that possible? You didn't even know what it is. Oh, like, honestly, like, I think I might have heard of it before, like as a round and pointless or something, but I don't think <laughs> I, I, I don't think I, oh, I really don't. Honestly, I couldn't tell you one thing about it. I couldn't tell you one thing. so respectfully, I said, oh, it's when Shelley Long left. You're like, yeah, Whoa. you were saying all this stuff and I was, there, just, I was just smiling, just like, yeah, well, whatever that, what a controversial moment that was. That barometer is falling fast, yeah. Propo. All the Generation uh, X's out there, I know, I'm with you. I can't believe it either. You don't know the day today. Well, Steve Coogan, uh, it's, it's the first show that it was, it was. It was a radio show first. I think it was called On the Hour on Radio Four. So you know Chris Morris is right. No. Oh my God! Tell me you know Chris Morris is. Who's Chris Morris? Oh my God, Ollie! We have got a educate. How can you be so literate in music? And you don't, Chris Morris, one of the most important satirists of our of our generation. Let me see. I'll Google him. See if I recognize. Brassai. You've never heard of Brassai. No. <laughs> Okay, you are going to go uh, on a... We're going to give you some serious schooling here, Propo. So Chris Morris, who was the anchor on the day-to-day, and then on Brassai, which a news parody shows, satirical, subversive, um, in some of the best television, hence why they're on my list, that has ever been made in this country. It's the show that... So let's start with the day-to-day, right? Day-to-day... Is a spoof news night. Alan Partridge, it's Coogan's Alan Partridge, is the sports guy on it. They, it, it is a, a spoof. It's news night. It, it's the BBC news show that's all made up. And getting that right is exceptionally difficult. To, to, as, as we routinely hear different attempts from good comics to try and be of the moment satirical, on point, and it's just all a bit, uh, these guys differently i mean and stuff that you watch and this show is must be pushing 30 years old i mean it must be getting on for 30 years old and it is still as sharp as anything promise me you will go and watch the day-to-day just watch an episode i mean if you love kook i mean this is where it all began essentially for him and for certainly where it all began for um you know for alan partridge you've never seen the alan partridge world cup roundup that no. clip you've never seen oh that. i have seen the alan partridge world cup round right that. no i have That's seen it. From so from the, okay yeah yeah from the okay. day today all right cool. no i am so, aware of that i'm aware of that that is that's a very very famous clip that's probably okay. that's probably where i've seen i probably have seen it but i've probably seen it in two minute clips that have been chopped up and put on social media yeah okay so uh chris morris went on to direct um to direct and has made some 
Really, really interesting films. Um, probably the one you're most likely to have seen is Four Lions. Uh-huh. Yeah, you've seen Four Lions? I have seen Four Lions, yeah. yeah okay, so that Chris Morris Lines, Four Lions is probably up there for some of my friends growing up. Okay, so Chris Morris directed Four Lions, right? Okay, so, okay. And one other thing, Patrick Marber, who's one of the cast of the day today, uh, who is a brilliant playwright, brilliant writer. He wrote Closer, which w- was made into a film. But there's a play he wrote called Dealer's Choice, which is all about a poker game in a North London restaurant after hours, after, after it's closed. And it is a brilliant, brilliant play. And it's something that if you are interested in that kind of thing, uh, if you like Pinter, for example, if that's your, your kind of space, just buy it and read it because it holds up, uh, you know, uh, in terms of reading the copy as opposed to necessarily seeing it brought to life. Um, so very talented crew, the day-to-day crew. Can I ask you a question? We actually were discussing this the other night with some, I was at Friends on Saturday night at a barbecue. We were discussing this where, why, especially with the state this country is in now, why mm. do you think something like that doesn't exist? Why do you think something almost like Saturday Night Live even mm. exists in the UK? It does feel like there is a gap there for yeah. young comedians to be able to go and essentially just mock. Ex- I know there's Mock the Week, but that's yeah. slightly different to yeah. actually kind of doing it in the same way that you've described there and also the way that Saturday Night Live does it. Like, I think there is such an opportunity there for someone to do it and do it really, really well because yeah. our country is almost taking the piss out of itself. Like, I agree. Anyway, I think I think there are lots of different answers, the parts to that answer. You know, so I think Saturday Night Live is such an institution that, um, and it's had a, a you know a real driving force behind it with Lorne Michaels yeah. all these years, and and it's had so many different incarnations, obviously, and, and highs and lows, and still divides opinion. Right, a lot of people who respect the artist within it, respect him uh, and respect the principle of it. will say it hasn't been funny for years. Others will say, well, you know, you know, and uh, I, I, I guess I don't watch enough of it, but I guess there are, um, you know, there are like anything, some really, really strong bits from most eras, but it's hard to sustain, but they kind of allow it because it's Eddie Murphy, because it's Will Ferrell and, you know, Sandler and whoever else was kind of in the mix there. But so I think it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is because from the origin and the early years with Dan Aykroyd and Belushi and, and Chevy chasing everybody, it, it built such a swagger that it was allowed to breathe and then became an institution. So there's no question that's going to go anywhere, even if it's, even if it's not very good uh, at that particular time. So that's the first thing I think. So in other words, starting Saturday Night Live now, I don't think, I'm not sure it would ever, it would get started now. We had Spitting Image in this country for a long time. Yeah, which, that's what I, I'm aware of Spitting Image. Yeah, that's which they've tried to reboot, but it doesn't seem to have got the no, traction. It's very hard, I think, to launch something that's going to capture, get the momentum and capture the um, collective attention in this fragmented multi-channel world that we're in. Mm-hmm. I think it's so hard to do that. Um, and so to get, you know, even if you take, I mean, this might seem like a, crazy example to use but if you take somebody like Piers Morgan right and his chat show whatever the hell it is his 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 TV show which is if you read you know you read the papers is getting the media sections it's getting like no the first show everyone tuned in now nobody tunes in right that, and whether you like him or hate him whatever you think of him that it should be getting more viewers than, than it is yeah. it's, right but it isn't because it's just so much stuff that's everywhere. It's so hard to, to, to capture attention. So I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, and 
the final part is that I think it's really hard to do well. You know, I think yeah. this crew, in my mind, certainly my generation were the best at it by a, by a country mind. I listened to a lot of uh, stuff, say, on Radio 4 and that kind of space. And sometimes it's good, but a lot of the time it's not. And that's not a knock on the comics doing that. It's just hard, it's just hard to do. And these guys just smashed it, laser precision. I think it was, again, lightning in a bottle, that collection of people working together at the same time like those classic era Saturday Night Live uh, casts, everything just came together. You know, they were just, they were just, it, it, and they knew themselves, they understood their voices. And uh, so I think, I think those are the reasons. You're right though. My God, it's, it's so much going on. It should be wide open for that, but it's, but it's hard to pull off. Moving on. All right. I'm doubling down. So I've got the day today. Then I have, well, this will come as no surprise to, to long-standing listeners, The West Wing. For me, The West Wing yeah, is so rich, so deep, so it definitely stands up. So I'm watching it with my eldest right now. And I said, look, just tell me if this feels really dated and was watching it from the beginning. This feels, no, he's in it, he's gripped, he loves it. And it's the testament of the caliber of the writing. Aaron Sorkin wrote the first four series, of course, pretty much uh, uh, obviously with his career around him, but he was the the creator and the instigator. A lot of people say uh, well, he left after series four, it fell off a cliff. I, I agree that I think the fifth series is a bit clunky at times, but then it I find, think it reboots really well. And the sixth and seventh, the final two series, um, find their own identity and mojo and, and, and are, are equally strong and just in a different way. So maybe five is the only series that's a bit shady. The others, one to four, are, are seminal. No doubt about it, and a lot of our listeners will be in this space. That the Americana space, you know, there is something that is um, fascinating to watch um, it play out. A lot of the, although it's a left-leaning show in sensibility, quite clearly, it's fair, it's balanced. Not all the Republicans and the right wingers are ogres and idiots. In fact, one of the main narratives in the latter series is uh, Alan Alda, terrific actor, one of the great actors is a, a, a likable centrist Republican candidate that is a massive threat to the, to the Democrats because he's so likable. And uh, it's balanced, it's smart, brilliant cast. Again, captured at the right time. You know, these are, well, Alison Janney's gone on to become a, you know, a megastar. Richard Schiff's a brilliant actor. Brad Whitford, Rob Lowe kind of reinvented himself in it and is great. And of course, the brilliant Martin Sheen, they just all work together as an ensemble. Um, Elizabeth Moss, who of course has gone on to be a major star as well. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. The, with a lot of these shows, the timing in terms of the collection, the skill of the casting, the skill obviously of the direction and writing and, and the actors themselves, but they're all coming together at the right time. That seems to be the kind of consistent thread with a lot of these great shows. So the West Wing, love it. Bet you haven't seen it. Did you know what it was? It, no, I know it, what the West Wing was. I, I know what the West Wing was. That's another one to add to the list, I think, for me. Is the why your last one, surely? Ooh, I really ummed and on this. Um, what? So after all of this? Oh, hang on, hang on. I didn't say it's not. I said I ummed and ahed. Even if it's not even a question, after all of the stuff you have given me. The Sopranos me. and The Wire. Oh, okay, fine. Neck yeah, and yeah. neck for me. But I would, I would probably lean, I would honestly, if, if I'm calling it, I would think I'd lean Sopranos over The Wire on a, <laughs> from a personal choice. With, but you with, think I have to watch The Wire over The Sopranos because I haven't seen either? Ah, yeah. I forgot you haven't seen either. In uh, order, yeah, to watch West Wing... I think you need, I, oh, that is a tough call. Uh, there's no reason why you couldn't watch all of them at the same time. 
all of them at the same time, certainly two of them at the same time. I think, uh, you know, to, say, to stop me falling into that trap that we all do now, which is binge watching. So you're watching eight episodes in two days sometimes if, you, if you're chilling. And, and that's just, I think, compromises how, you know, you can overdose on them, I feel. And then yeah. and, and you, some episodes, individual, uh, individual performances, you miss, you miss them because they just get a bit, your senses get dulled. I don't know, that's a good call, man. I reckon, I think you have to, I think you have to start with, what would you like the most? I think you'd like the wire the most is my hunch. Yeah. Okay. I think you like the wire the most. Yeah. So but, that's what yeah. I'm going to start with. That's what I'm going to be watching during the season. But I think the Sopranos, I'm going to start mm. just kind of having, because isn't that one like more of one you can kind of just watch a couple here and there and then leave? Yeah. And, kind of uh, and the West Wing as well, in the sense that most um, episodes are um, kind of self contained, although there's obviously some narratives run through. But most episodes are self-contained, not in that kind of, hey, everything, the crime solved in 40, 40 minutes, like yeah. CSI. But, um, but yeah, you can kind of dip in and out of. The, the wires are the one I think you probably need the most uh, most focus watching. Yeah. So do you want my, my one, which I think is definitely going to surprise you? Mm. And this is an interesting one because I'm not sure how well this... Is it EastEnders? <laughs> oh my goodness, definitely not. Definitely not. It's actually Hollyoaks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> yeah. No, this one you're also gonna, is going to surprise you because I'm not sure. I think it would have. I think it would have. It wouldn't be that dated now, but I mm. haven't seen it for a while. But in terms of being like, The Simpsons was my easy watch growing up. It was just the yeah. one I always put on. It was always there at six o'clock. You'd come home. You'd watch The Simpsons. Have to watch a bit of Neighbours before it because yeah, it's come on. All of that kind of stuff. Father Ted. Love that call. I'm yeah. surprised you gone there, but I love that call. Honestly, it was my. I watched. I think I watched every season at least six or seven times growing up. It was the one way that my parents could always keep me quiet. I think Dougal is one of the funniest characters, and Father Jack. Uh, like the whole combination of the three of them, Miss. Yeah. Um, the go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Is that one of the best, like the most famous lines like I can remember from my childhood? So oh, let me ask you, when you watch Father Ted, because that was in that Channel 4 Friday night slot, did you discover it then or did you discover it no, uh, box, set. box set later? Okay, box right. Set. So my parents gave me that and Black Books. Probably when oh, of course, Black Books was the, yeah, yeah. Dylan Moran spinoff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So probably when I was a little bit too young. I mean, I was probably about 10 when I was watching these <laughs> these two TV shows, but yeah, yeah. they were they kept me very, very quiet. Black Books a little bit darker, so I wouldn't say it would kind of like create the same enjoyable memories but i certainly did enjoy mm. it but father ted i could just watch endlessly i could watch every episode back to back to back the eurovision episode is potentially one of my favorite episodes of tv in the history of tv when they do that song about the horse and they're just doing a thing for ireland father jack like because my father jack was just such a brilliant character in the way that you kind of everyone knows a kind of someone who's a little bit like father jack yes right drink women you know like that's such a funny way to play off like the stereotypical man growing yeah, up yeah and it's just it was just absolutely brilliant. Like, I honestly can't remember a bad time watching Father Ted. And I well, used that's to it. So the, it's yeah. memories that you have, uh, 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 and that's, the, that's so important, of course, as well. But then as you've t- touched on, and this is critical, I think, for a great show, and it's not always the case. Like, if I think about one of my... A film that I have felt, in, in terms of all the films I've watched, more than Michael Owen, by the way. I've watched more than the, <laughs> more than the eight that Michael Owen has watched. Uh, I think of all the films that I've watched, I've only ever seen this once, but it is one of the most striking from one of my favourite directors that... Um, but I've only ever watched it once. I can't go back to it. And, uh, and I think I will one day, but it was so powerful and watched little clips of it, but I haven't watched the whole thing uh, more than once. It's Inland Empire, David Lynch's film, Inland Empire, right? So there are exceptions to this rule, 
what I'm about to say, I think but typically something, whether it's a book, a, definitely a, a TV series that you can just revisit again and again. And it's an old friend and you know where you are and there's a familiarity with the characters and you know where the gags are coming and what the gags are and where the plot's twisting, but you want to watch it anyway. I must've watched The West Wing and The Sopranos probably about <laughs> 11 times and I'm still fine watching it again. And it's, it's your point with Father Ted, you could put that on at any time and you feel at your home. I'm, you know, I'm yeah. comfortable with this. Exactly. And it just holds up as opposed to, ah, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit tired. I kind of know it. And again, another one where the whole family could sit down and we'd all kind of laugh at different times. It just had one of those. It was just so brilliant in the way the script was done in terms of where the characters were, the casting, everything literally hit the nail on the head. It was absolutely mm. brilliant. And the whole plot was just sensational. And it was obviously very sad that the main guy died when he did, because otherwise I think they probably could create it a lot more. But it was yeah. absolutely brilliant. Now, my last one's interesting because I went through, there's a couple of classic answers that I want to say, but the mm. problem is, is that, so Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. the last season... Such a Gen Z answer. Such, yeah, there's <laughs> such a Gen Z answer. But if the last season is such an abomination... Yes, the whole kill the rest of it. Yeah, the whole thing was ruined for me. The way they just rapidly finished it. Right. Without kind of like the whole season four, five, and six were literally really slow builds of very different storylines going on across a whole different world. And then in season seven, they suddenly just do a couple of battle scenes that look amazing. They spend a lot of money on, but without really fleshing out any of the storylines or kind of, it didn't really make any sense, to be completely honest with you. Like, I was actually left angry. By the end of it, it was that's how bad it was, and it was just because the producers wanted to go and make Star Wars, so they had to finish it. Just to wrap it up quickly. After the books, so the books haven't even been released yet, so there wasn't actually the right story. The whole thing that nah, is an abomination, and I refuse to put it on this list as a result. Was it like? Uh, well, I suppose they they squeaked into the playoffs. So, but was it like Roethlisberger's last season? Was yeah, that, yeah, exactly, that exactly. That's why. What have you it done? Was just so it was so badly done, and it was so rushed. And it was so heartbreaking because I felt like I'd been stolen hours of my life away because the reason why four, five and six were so good was Mm. because you were building up to the end of the season. It was all the anticipation. Mm. When they ripped that away and made it as poorly as they did, it was an absolute tragedy. So it can't make my list. The other one is just one season because this is a different, this is a different kind of series Mm. um, compared to kind of others because they kind of change the cast and change the story each series. Yeah. The first series of True Detective with Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Wow. Great shout, man. So that's interesting. That is brilliant. Where are you on the other series? So I, I, I haven't watched them. Yeah, I haven't watched them, but I've watched the first two of the, what is the one with Vince Vaughn? Yes. And Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, and it just didn't get me to the same extent. Yeah, and this is the series that, that everyone slags off. It's so hard to follow the, the Harrelson McConaughey series. But I, and again, it's, or every time I ha- take a, a stance like this, it always feels like, oh yeah, you're just saying that to be, but I, I, I don't think it's better, so I'm not going to go that far, but I think it's a lot better than people are saying, the second mm. series, and I think you stick with it. Okay. And the more I think about that series, the more I really like both Vince Vaughn and and Farrell's performance. And I love the fact, and this is something you'll find when you watch The Wire, that it's so markedly different from what came before. Um, And that's that's quite jarring to you because you're so used to this. Exactly. Uh, the third series is uh, that, that it, it's great, it, and but the first series is is, is the strongest. Oh, and it's amazing! That first series is absolutely incredible. So uh, I think the fourth episode or something was one of the best episodes of TV I think I've ever watched. And, yeah, uh, terrifying, just terrifyingly sinister. Um, so that would be it. Love that. 
do you know what I'm going to go with? Which is, this is, a, is again, we're going with favourite TV shows. Mm. Those are like my favourite kind of epic, like they're the best, you know, mm. I describe it as the best. Mm-hmm. In terms of my favourite TV shows, in terms of, and there's two of them I'm going to put in the same breath because I have a sort of, I would say it's an unnatural and a little bit unhealthy obsession with English panel shows. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I'm glad you say game shows. I no, not game shows, okay. panel shows. Uh-huh. Would I lie to you? Mm-hmm is one of the funniest things that I... It makes me laugh out loud more than most comedies that I've watched. And I don't think I've ever seen an episode of it. Really? I don't think I've ever seen... Is it, is it basically... You won't understand the reference. Is it Call My Bluff? It's basically you have to blag. And you're basically three three people on a panel. Yeah. And one of them's telling the truth and the other two are lying. Yeah, okay. No, so, no, no. So it's basically, so basically you just get given things to say and yeah. then you have to work out whether it's... Oh, lie. yeah, okay. I, I have seen it, yeah. Okay. The, the, but again, it's also like the other one is 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown, which... Sean Locke dying was one of the first people sort of like of my childhood mm. who I really, really felt, you know, like, you know, yeah. you knew them because I've yeah. watched Sean Locke growing up so much and his yeah. is exactly kind of got me. And I really was one of the first comedians where I wanted to watch every single thing he did. Yeah. Result. And him in that, he makes me laugh so much that I couldn't not like mention it in this list. And it's the exact same with, would I lie to you? The combination of Rob Bride and David Mitchell and Lee Mack. Lee Mack, I never really liked because I used to watch his show that he did a couple of times. A little bit of his stand-up. Never really found him that funny. Mm. When you watch One Would I Lie to You, mm. he is the most quick-witted man I've ever come across in my entire life. You know what? I Back in my, in my stand-up days, uh, I gig with him a few times where, you know, we were young acts trying to, you know, develop and he was already super established, but we'd cross over a bit and he was, A, just a really genuine bloke uh also you'd see him in that situation when you're playing a you know a club in soho with 50 people and he's coming to try new stuff out and it's rocking up and of course he goes on and you realize wow as you say sharp as anything and that's the challenge i think when you've got um whatever that show is you know the, the bbc one sitcom he's been in for years that is you know prime time um and mainstream it, it, Peter K suffered from this as well. I think that there was a, there's a criticism uh, of acts and artists, uh, comics in particular, that are mainstream and that are successful um, in that capacity. And I guess you, when you bring it full circle with recording artists, Coldplay probably suffered from this as well. That they just the perception is they're too bland. This is too. Yeah. And even if some of their work might be, relatively speaking, that. Um, and, and again, of course, it depends on the work, but because there's a lot of a huge amount of mainstream stuff that's crap, but there's a huge amount of edgy stuff that's crap as well. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, an, an act shouldn't be, an artist shouldn't be vilified and, and yeah. written off, and because they're in a mainstream vehicle, right? And actually, from a comedic point of view, someone like Peter Kay, I think it's far harder to do that, where he pretty much typically has the respect of almost everyone, um, irrespective of their other comedic tastes and sensibilities versus somebody as great as Bill Hicks or Dennis Leary or um, Chappelle because they are on the edgier side. Uh, I, I think it's almost harder to achieve that uniform appeal than it is to have uh, you know, your tribe. And so I think Lee Max suffered from that a bit, that because he's got this mainstream success, that people think, oh, he's not really that cutting, you know, he's not cutting edge, he's not really this bit, bit lightweight, when actually, as you say, you watch him on stage doing his craft, heavyweight. Incredible. And I'm going to give you, if my homework's to watch The Wire, 
Yeah. You have to watch every Would I Lie to You episode, which okay. has Bob Biden hosting and that Bob okay. Morton is in. Oh, I love Bob Mortimer. I mean, Bob Mortimer is. Watch, but just okay. watch the Would I Lie to You with Bob Mortimer in. They are, I haven't like cried with laughter on anything else, watching anything else in any other situation as much as I have watching Bob Mortimer do Would I Lie to You. It <laughs> is one of the funniest things I've ever Have you watched, uh, the, so Vic and Bob, have you watched like the smell That's of That's what my next, because I was having a discussion, uh, this exact same discussion the other night at this barbecue, we were talking about it and they said that I need to watch a lot more Vic and Bob if I Oh, uh, you should. And the yeah. smell of Reeves and Mortimer in particular, I'd start with that. Um, because that is again twenty years old, probably, and, and is still. If you like Bob Mortimer, you will l- love it. It's brilliant. Way ahead of its time. Propo, I've got an Uber outside. I've got to run. We have managed to do a whole episode of pop culture chat with no football. We Apart literally. From- this might be. We usually don't get through the running order, but we have literally gone through maybe two bullet points. Of- what did I say to you just before we started recording? Yeah, about forty minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've done an hour and twenty minutes on two bullet points of what was meant to be about a ten bullet point running order. Well, we have gone a bit left field. And like I said a bit earlier on in the show, we're going to drop these in from time to time. Fear not, football is always going to be our focus. And we'll have plenty of football chat coming your way. But we're just opening things up a bit. And we're going to have different voices, different angles. And this is part of it as we build uh, the NC Show family. So I've enjoyed this thoroughly, Propo. And I haven't really... This is to be continued, basically. So this is, this is uh, Gen Z versus uh, Gen X uh, 1. Right, so yeah. we're gonna we're gonna have sequels. We are having sequels. We're getting it on. This is just the beginning, my friend. Just the beginning. Perfect. Right, I'm gonna get an Uber. Do you know what an Uber is? It's it's, uh, it's this really cool. I'm thing. surprised you know order, what an Uber is. Order a car. I'm surprised you know what an Uber is. I thought you'd be ordering a black cab. <laughs> you'd be walking outside with your hand in the air for as long as you possibly Thanks can. <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, look after yourself, bud. Check it soon. Speak soon. All the best. Hope you like that. There is plenty more where that came from. Fear not, as I said in the show, lots and lots of extra football chat coming your way this season. But we're going to do lots more stuff like that as well. We're just bolstering, boosting the output and pick your poison. Enjoy what you enjoy. If it isn't your thing, no drama at all. It's great to have you along for the ride. And for all of you new subscribers that have joined us in the last month or two, good to have you with us. And we're looking forward to keeping the episodes Coming thick and fast, free of charge, dropping into your podcatcher of choice. Hopefully putting a smile on your face. We will be back next week with plenty more where that came from. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to catching up. Bye for now. Podcast Network.